0: We are currently going verse by verse through the Gospel of Mark on Sunday mornings. We pray that these sermons encourage your faith. Now let's join Pastor Ross as we continue studying the life and teachings of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Heavenly Father, I just pray, Lord, first of all, that through my weakness and having a cold, Lord, that your grace would be extended. Uh, We thank you also, Lord, for your holy word. We want it to come to life in our hearts and lives. We want to not just hear and understand, but to put it into practice so that we can be blessed. In Christ's name, amen. First order of business, hot tea. So delicious. All righty. As I mentioned, we are now... Uh, concluding Mark chapter three with a couple paragraphs and a very intriguing uh, incident. Uh, We are finding enough time has gone by that it's decision time. Uh, People have heard Jesus' fantastic uh, claims and uh, they have seen his uh, wondrous supernatural deeds that actually uh, verify or back up those claims as true. And so the people who are hearing and seeing Christ and hearing the gospel are coming to their conclusions. And thus far, the responses to Christ and the gospel have been varied and very interesting. But as we will see as chapter 3 closes out, some of their conclusions, the members of Jesus' family... And the members of the religious establishment, some of their responses are more than interesting. They're downright shocking. Let me show you what I mean. Here's the text. Then Jesus entered a house and again a crowd gathered so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. When his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him to put him into custody For they said, he is out of his mind. Spoiler alert, that doesn't go well. All right, (laughs) verse 22. They they go back empty-handed. All right, verse 22. And the teachers of the law who came down from Jerusalem said, he's possessed by Beelzebub, by the prince of demons. He's driving out demons. So Jesus called and spoke to them, the the Pharisees, the ones who were accusing him of doing uh, deeds by uh, the devil's power. He said, uh, he began to talk to them with analogies and metaphors. He said, how can Satan drive out Satan? Verse 24. I mean, how can the devil drive out the devil? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house or if a home is divided against itself that house cannot stand. And if Satan opposes himself and is divided, he cannot stand his end has come. But here, here's what's really happening here. In fact, no one can enter a strong man's house and carry off his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man. Then he can rob his house. Continues on. I tell you the truth, all the sins and blasphemies of men will be forgiven them. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. He is guilty of an eternal sin. He said this because they were saying he has an evil spirit or he's in league with the devil or the devil himself. Then Jesus' mother and brothers arrived, standing outside. They sent someone in to call him. A crowd was sitting around him and they told him, Your mother and brothers are outside and they're looking for you who are my mother and my brothers, he asked. Then he looked at those seated in a circle around him and said, here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. So what we have here, and the text can remain up there, um, what we have here is a series of shocking responses Responses. The first is Jesus' family shocking response. He's insane. Then the religious authority's shocking response actually to an exorcism Jesus has just performed there in the midst. And their shocking response is: oh, he's doing that because he himself is possessed. So their response, he's possessed. Then in turn, Jesus has a shocking response for their shocking responses. And they are even more dramatic. Jesus will turn to the leaders first and first tell them, you know, about me being possessed. That doesn't make very much sense, does it? And so first he'll try to reason. And then Jesus' shocking response to their shocking response, he will say, Uh, He will talk about uh, a a sinful settling of the soul uh, for which there is no forgiveness. And so those are shocking words. And then we'll find out what happens when the family comes to take charge of Jesus with Jesus' shocking uh, redefinition of family and which was quite a shocking new way to think about family that will uh, surely upset the apple cart uh, then. And I think it can also um, be shocking in this, to some in this very room and setting the way the Bible talks about what true family is. Well, we'll, well, let's walk through the passage now. Let's get started with the crowds. So just the thought about the crowds, all right? So there's one thing that doesn't shock us, Right? And it's that the crowds adore Jesus. They can't get enough of them. Last uh, passage was about them coming from all points, all four corners of the then known world, really. They were coming to hear the God man stand up, say that he came down from heaven, these authoritative claims. It was as if God appeared in human form, which is biblical. And he was standing there in the middle of the world saying, you know, here's a get out of hell free card for for whoever. Whatever you've done, I just want to let you know there's a pass to get out of eternal hell and into eternal paradise, any takers. And then he would follow up such claims as being the light of the world and, 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 and the resurrection and the life with these fantastic supernatural deeds. And all who, who came near him and touched him with their need uh, were, were made whole. And so, of course, those words of authority calling out the hypocrites, he said, listen to them. They're telling you this, but here's the truth. And the truth would set their hearts free. Finally, somebody with authority to out all that religious nonsense and oppression to come in and to tell it like it is, and then with those powerful deeds. Well, well, that is the cause of what leads to the problem with the response of Jesus' family, that the crowds, in the Greek it says crowds of crowds, just, just people, you know, and in some passages it says people threatened to crush him, so they had to protect him by putting him in a boat and putting him out a little ways and let him preach that way. And so that is the context of what led to Jesus not in his family's perspective uh, and understanding, not being able to take care of himself. Well, there was endless heartache, desperation, oppression. And, and when people heard that the God-man was here and under a certain disp- a dispensation of time, it was time for those miracles to free flow, no matter what. Well, they couldn't get enough of him and, They were at the door, they knocked, and Jesus answered, even if it was time to eat. And so no food, no sleep, no showers, no self-care for a time had to take a back seat to something more pressing. The eternal gospel come down to men. So let's dig into their outrageous response. The crowds get him, but his family does not, as you see, in the text before you. So uh, it's very clear. Their intention is clear to arrest him, to take charge, to take custody. It is the same language used to arrest and apprehend somebody. And so that's their intention. And uh, the reason is clear as well. He has lost his mind. And the word in the Greek means to be deranged or delusional, to have... Uh, visions of grandeur, if you will. He's not grounded in reality. He's sick, and he needs someone to take care of him because obviously he's not in his right mind. So let's talk about this. Jesus' mother and his brothers. We, We know that he had four brothers for sure, And we know that he had sisters. The sisters are not named or numbered in the Bible, but the brothers are James, Joseph, Simon, and Jude. It was Judas, not the Judas, but they changed his name to Jude because of Judas. And so... We know in the beginning that the brothers, all the way to the death and resurrection of the Lord, were unbelievers. We know that for a fact because in John chapter 7, their snide remarks to Jesus the Messiah, their older half brother. These are half siblings, they all come from Mary's womb including Jesus. However, Jesus was conceived of the Holy Spirit. He did not have a human father. That's what makes him different. And a half sibling, which is crazy in itself. And so we know with their snide remarks, it was festival time. It was the feast of tabernacles and everybody's supposed to head off to Jerusalem. And they say, hey, you know, Mr. Wannabe Celebrity, why don't you go into the festival? You know, don't you want to show your amazing miracles to everybody? That's what people who want at fame and fortune want. And so Jesus handled that right there. But the text in John 7 says, for even his brothers did not believe in him. Now, uh, happily, two of them at least had a conversion because after the resurrection, Jesus has a little interview with a couple of them. And so James... becomes James of Acts chapter 15, the pastor of a very large church. That James you read about is Jesus' half-younger brother. And the Jude in the Bible is the Jude of Jesus' family. And so uh, the other things we don't know about, Mary is caught up in all of this nonsense. Her name is there. She's associated. And and best commentators can say, of course she's a believer, right? But but she does have a problem with mom slash son of God. Mom versus son, but he's son of God. And and uh, we had that problem before. Jesus' first miracle in the oddest little paragraph you ever want to read in the Bible. Jesus getting ready to do his first miracle, he knows what he's about to do. Somehow she catches on and she's, she's kind of egging him on, saying, hey, come on, you know, they're out of wine, wink, wink, and, 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 and he has to say, woman, not mom, woman, I'm in charge here, I'm calling the shots, it's my hour, not your hour. What do we have in common here, woman? So he has to try to teach her gently listen, things are changing. I, uh, I'm the Messiah. I am. Yes, I'm your son, but I'm also the Son of God. And so Mary's kind of caught up, but she's hurt. You know, he's sick. Is he sick? He's not taking care of himself. What's up? You know, and the brothers are probably arm. Uh, wrestling her down, you know, or, you know, making her come along. And so, you know, who's going to say anything uh, negative about Mary, right? (laughs) So there she is. She is just like us, a human being. Now, with all the amazing things to be uh, growing up and have, let's call it for what it is, God in a human body. That's who he claims to be, sitting at the dinner table with you as an eight-year-old boy, now, with all the privilege and honor of that and all the awe, there, there's some distinct difficulties there. Now, how many of you had an older brother who thought he was God, you know? I mean, <laughs> or had <a> messi- <laughs> who had a Messiah complex. Well, that's annoying <laughs> if they're not, but if they are God and do uh, start to act very kind and selfless, Jesus didn't have to do anything to earn people's, uh, or to cause people, I should say, to resent him. You know, just, just by people being good in your presence, it brings a conviction of your own soul, and, and, and you have to wrestle through things. I told the first uh, service, you know, I was out to dinner with a couple, me and Barb and this couple, and, and I thought of it because I saw them sitting there, and every time his wife goes near the car, Every single time, he rushes out and he opens the door for her. They've been married over 30 years. And he does it all the time. (laughs) Thank you, Mrs. Lenita. Now, every time he does it. Now, I do not always open the door for Barb, right? Occasionally, I do. But I do when I'm with them. (laughs) Oh, I do when I'm with them. What kind of husband are you? He opens the door, and I hear it coming into my head. What kind of guy are you? You know, you don't even open the door for your wife. You, you see, Jesus is not a, 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 when he's eight, he's perfect eight. He's not 15, he's perfect eight. And then he's perfect 12. And then he's doing his father's business on Passover. He's like, whoa, he's getting it on the, the Passover lamb. He's in junior high. And he's hanging out with the scribes and they're talking about the Passover lamb and Jesus is like, huh? right? And so mom and dad, they leave, you know, stepmom and dad, mom and stepdad, I should say, and and they take off and they play that game, hey, you know, a few days later. Hey, I haven't seen Jesus around. Yeah, funny, funny. <laughs> I know he's with you, right? No, he's not with me. Oh, come on, stop it. And they both go, huh? "We misplaced the Messiah." <laughs> so, so this is bad, you know, you lose your car keys, you misplace your sunglasses, you misplace the son on God. This is not good. And Jesus has to say, and he says it so lovingly, he's 12, but he says, you know, why did it take you so long to find me? Why are you guys all upset? Where were you looking for two or three days? At the mall? <laughs> you, you know, see, I, why wouldn't you think uh, probably the temple? Uh, here I am about my father's business, right? And, and, and so that, those kinds of remarks from neighbors is why can't you be more like your older brother? It's like, because he's God, all right? <laughs> you know? Uh, They didn't like it. Well, so after that, listen, I I mean, listen, there are some people who are are morally inclined and there's an edge to it and it's obnoxious, right? Jesus was morally inclined, morally perfect, without an edge. Oh, it was selfless. It was quiet when it needed to be quiet. When it needed to voice, it voiced, but with humility, it was perfection and still it wasn't enough. And then As we move forward now, uh, Luke chapter 2, it says about that incident when they found Jesus there. Jesus grew in, grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and all the people. How ironic that all the people, with some exceptions, his family... Because familiarity bred contempt, and Jesus is the one who preached the sermon in his hometown of Nazareth at the hometown uh, little synagogue there. And their response was, as he said, I'm the one Isaiah's talking about. It's me, folks. I came down from heaven. And they said, "Blasphemy!" His own people took him to the brow of a hill in Nazareth and, and attempted to throw him off the brow of a cliff. You will stand at that cliff. There's only one cliff there in Nazareth, and it works as a cliff, and it's (laughs) it's the cliff. And so, uh, uh, yeah, it's uh, Jesus said a prophet is not without honor, except in his own hometown, and at his own (laughs) dinner table with family. And so Jesus already saw this coming. So. The intention is clear to arrest them. The, the, the reason is clear is lost his mind. What pushed them over? You know, it, it wasn't his teaching. It was his sacrifice in service that said, hey, that's it. He crossed the line. And if it's, it, And this is the thing that makes people nervous about Christian devotion is when the sacrifice exceeds what we deem normal. Right so this no no taking care of self no time for leisure you, you know his whole life is about answering the door and healing healing people he's not even eating and that's what sparked their concern in his devotion and sacrifice to others is what made them think this is odd this is not right something is wrong now we see that all the time when we pick up our cross and we follow uh, not everybody understands what we're doing, and they think it's a bit strange. In fact, Peter doesn't he say, First Peter chapter, I believe it's chapter four and verse four. He says, Your old friends, who you used to party with, they think it's they think something they think you're strange, and something strange has happened to you that you don't plunge into the same flood of wild living that you used to do so there are things about the christian life in what jesus is doing in sacrifice he's saying there's something more important happening here than a sandwich right now right but in the world's thinking there's nothing more important than taking care of self looking out for number one and so he crossed that line in his devotion to service And it got the attention of his family and I find it very interesting that it's not the content of his message that he came down from heaven and is God in human form that said, hey, we got to take care of this guy. It was that he wasn't eating enough. That's what happens when you start doing things that are different in your sacrifice and you're putting and people don't understand it. Dylan Bricker, when he spoke on Wednesday night, he, he gave an illustration of when he was nineteen. He's a good looking young man. Right? And he's, he was at a NASCAR race and he got a, had some extra time on his hand and God put it on his heart to share the gospel with some dude. Right? So he, he opened the conversation and got it started and the guy said, how old are you? And, and Dylan said, 19. And here's this young, handsome, strapping guy right, and with no reason in the world to be a Jesus freak. And the guy says to him, what's your problem? You're, you're wasting your party years, you know? You're a good-looking guy like you, you're 19, you go away to college, you get wasted, you know? They, truly, that's a great way to describe <laughs> that kind of lifestyle, wasted, right? But see, you're crazy because of your sacrifice and devotion for the, what the world says. Hey, these are your years that you're supposed to go out and sow your wild oats. So if you say, no, I don't want to do things that destroy and hurt me and my relationship with God, then you're considered out there. Well, so we seem to get it right when you don't go take the job on Wall Street, but then you decide God's called you to missions. That doesn't make sense to some people. It makes sense to everybody in the room when God's calling. It may, may be difficult, but when he says pick up your cross, love your enemies, turn the other cheek, go the extra mile, uh, then we look like a bunch of lunatics sometimes. Now, Jesus' family didn't get him, and uh, our families don't always get us, and we're going to talk a little bit about that. Now, you know, there, there is a... Uh, there there. There are behaviors that are not consistent with the Bible that do get people concerned. But if you cannot justify them in the Bible, um, and they're bizarre by the Bible standards as well, then you can no longer use the excuse that, well, you know, I'm a Christian and I'm a, I do things a different way and the world thinks that I'm a little out there because I've met a lot of people who are out there who, who use the terms Jesus and God. And you see them on the nightly news a lot, unfortunately, and all of us want to say, oh, no, 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 that's not Christians. Oh, no, 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 no. That's a crazy person. Right. But they're talking and they're using the language. And so there's no um, opportunity here in the text uh, to take uh, neurotic behavior or, or, or psychological problems and, and lay it at the feet of, well, you know, we're peculiar people. So moving on now. So uh, Mark fully, uh, so this epic fail for his family, seems to be, at best, uh, mot- motivated by some pity. Poor guy. He, he just can't even uh, figure out how to take care of himself. And, and so it, it's, it may be genuine, sincere, but it's misguided in an epic fail sort of way. And so Mark fully intends to tell you how this resolves, but Mark is famous for what when, when commentaries call the Markin Sandwich. And what he likes to do is start a story and then tell you something and kind of get you waiting. And then he finishes the story and that's exactly what's gonna ha- happen. So here's what you know. You know Jesus' family are on their way 30 miles from Nazareth to go north to Galilee. So the, the, the family and the men with the white coats, they're on their way. That's how much you know, okay? Okay. Now, what you didn't know that comes next, Matthew and Luke will add what brings the Pharisees' response. And so we'll use that version. Then a demon-possessed man who was blind and couldn't speak, mute, was brought to Jesus. Jesus healed the man so that he could A, speak, B, see. The crowd was amazed and connected the dots. Uh, could it be that Jesus is the Messiah? But when the Pharisees heard about the miracle, they said, "He's possessed by Beelzebub. No wonder he can cast out demons. He gets his power from Satan himself, the prince of demons." Okay, that is a shocking response. It'll bring a shocking answer as well. But let's let's take a i look at this now. So his family thinks he's insane, and the religious leaders now are saying that they believe that he does all of these powerful things through black magic or sorcery or satanic uh, power. Well, it's easy to see why Jesus doesn't have much time for himself. The dire needs that come are, are just unbelievable. They just keep coming. You know, hmm, let me see. Jesus in this time period is able to perform unbelievable miracles of every kind because he's validating the gospel and laying the foundation for Christianity. And so Jesus has the power to do these kinds of miracles for people who are suffering in terrible ways. And so you've got this guy who comes to the door and they're all like this. Desperate. He can't even tell Jesus what the problem is. He can't speak. He's never said a word. So there he is. He can't even see. He's being led to the door. The door's there. Jesus' is here. People are explaining and pointing, and there's chaos. And the guy's there like this. That's what he's doing. He's saying, Can somebody save me? I am bound up in here. I can't see, I can't talk. I'm mm. Now, Jesus has to decide. Am I gonna go grab a sandwich or am I gonna help this guy? If you decide there, and you know you have the power to do it, and there, there he is, and it's the right thing to do. You decide to go have a sandwich because what about time for me? That, my friend, is insane. And the work of the evil one is upside down. So Jesus says, of course, come in. And then everybody's stomach is growling because there are all of these needs. And so Jesus sets the guy free and so that he's seeing and speaking. So by the way, I want to hand that guy the microphone. We've heard from the family, sir. The family of Jesus who knows him best, they think he's crazy. Okay, this is after he just set the guy free and he's praising God and jumping around and he's singing and he's singing and they're saying, how many fingers now? Four, you know, whoa, I've never, whoa, he's looking at yellow and he's going, yellow. Oh, I never thought of yellow like that, right? All of this. Uh, Sir, we just want to ask you, those who know Jesus well, they're a little concerned, all right? They think he's crazy, What do you think? I think he's crazy. And he's right there. You think that he's crazy? He's out of his mind. Yes, and there are others who think the devil just did this. Why would the devil do this beautiful thing to me? Right? Why would the devil want to give me the best gift I've ever had in in my whole life? That's not the devil's job description. Amen. (laughs) Well, I'm getting excited. You guys can just sit there. (laughs) I'm just imagining this, you know. No, no, he has a tongue now, and he's going to start telling the truth. No, he's no insane person, and he is not the devil. I can attest to that. And so with incredible joy and excitement and praise and the testimonies, listen, the crowd is putting it together, they see a blind guy who can see at Jesus doing, and then he's giving praise to God, but he was formerly mute, and they're making the connections. They're saying, is Jesus the Messiah? And Well, no, no, wait a second. Nobody, uh, we've never seen this before. We've never heard these words. We've never seen this kind of thing. Is, is this the savior of the world? Is, is this wonderful counselor, almighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace right here? And they did so because of the messianic promises. Take a look at what Isaiah said. Talking of the future of the Messiah, 700 years before Bethlehem. Then the eyes of the blind will be open, check. And the ears of the deaf will be unstopped, check. Then the lame will leap like a deer, check. And the tongue of the guy in this story who fulfills two of them right here will shout for joy. This is the job description, just one of them, of the Messiah. Could this be, is this him? That's what the Bible said. The Bible told us, everybody, you can go back to the text. The Bible told us, look out for, be on alert. Because you're going to see somebody who's going to walk into a meeting, blind and can't speak. And he's going to leave the meeting seeing and speaking. Then you'll know Messiah was there. So they're saying, okay, we get it. Is this the Messiah, right? What are the Pharisees gonna do? The Pharisees are backed into a corner. They can no longer deny. They see the guy. They knew the guy. Everybody knows the guy who's blind and walks around making those sounds. They know him and they just saw what happened and they have nothing else to say. They cannot say, oh, it didn't happen. It's an actor. They brought in a guy who just looks like him. They've tried that before too, right? They have nothing to say. So so here's what they do. They can't deny he's doing the miracle. So let's talk about how he's doing the miracles. The only way to discredit him and all these people who are saying he's the son of God, in order to stop that because they already determined, listen, we don't care If what he's doing is real or not, we've already decided, I don't want to lose my sins. I don't want to lose my job. I don't want to lose the money involved. I don't want to lose the ability to lust and be the person that I am. I don't want to come to know him. I don't want to repent. So it doesn't matter what he's doing or saying, because I've already decided no. So what is left to say? (laughs) There's only two kinds of powers, Something happened here and we just saw it happen. So they come to the natural conclusion, uh, you know, or the unnatural conclusion in this case. It can't be God because I can't let it be God because that means my whole life will change and I don't want that to happen. So we're gonna go with the power from below. That's what we're going to say. And they kept on saying that. And you will read the gospels. You see over and over and over again. They say he is mad. He has a demon. He is out of his mind. He is demon possessed everywhere. John chapter 7, John chapter 8, John chapter 10. It's just something they always go to because they're out of ammo. (laughs) There's nothing else to say. People are seeing him do it. And they're like, he's the Messiah, right? And then they go, no, that's demon power. So Jesus has a response to them. So he says, <laughs> our Savior is so patient and kind. He, he doesn't want them to perish. So he's going to try to reason with them first before he's going to warn them in love that this is a path that will not end with forgiveness. All right? So he starts right away with These leaders, and he says, uh, first of all, he says, uh, guys, can the devil? Does the devil really want to beat up the devil? Does the devil really want to go after the devil? Can Satan cast out Satan? And then you know that the the believers in the room, they're kind (laughs) of. You know, come on, because it's a ridiculous thought. So that's why he brings it out. And so Mark points out he's going to start in parables. Parable just means come alongside to contrast and compare. It means he's going to start using plain, ordinary analogies. So he's going to say, okay, you think it's the devil. Okay, let's talk uh, uh, about, let's start thinking in other ways about how illogical this is. What if a nation declared war and said, ladies and gentlemen, we're having a press conference today to let you know that we're declaring war. Who are we declaring war on? Ourselves. (laughs) We are declaring war on our own nation. Um, That nation's pretty much doomed, right? Uh, Okay. And so he says, let's drive it home. He says, how about in your house, gentlemen? How about in your house? The two shall become one. What if one of you doesn't like the combination of two becoming one and wants to be one again? That means that pff, there'll be an implosion the day somebody wakes up and says, you know, my favorite line to hate. I love you, but I, I'm not in love with you. Oh, that don't, if, don't talk to me. Go to a different counselor because I, I don't have patience for that. There's no such thing as that. That's just like saying, it's not you, it's me. When that's a polite way of saying, it's really you, but I don't have the heart to say it, you know? Listen, love is a choice and an act of the will. And when you say, don't think I'm in love with you anymore, you're saying, I won't love you. I have decided not to extend you that love. So I'm off on a rabbit trail, but listen, it was a good one. House, a home, a husband and wife divided against each other. Isis against Isis. That would be really nice. If <laughs> <laughs> and that's what he's saying. Wouldn't it be nice? And he says then his end is near. His end is near, no. He, he goes, he cannot send it. His end has come. He's saying, wouldn't that be nice? There'd be no need for me to be here. <laughs> That's what he's saying, but that's not the case. So here now he's gonna say, here's, here's what the case is. Let me explain to you what happened. And please picture the, the dude who just got healed of this demon. He's the house, he's the prize. There's been a strong man who has been in charge of this possession of this house. So Jesus says, well, I'll tell you what really is going on here. Is someone just got beat up pretty bad. And let me tell you, who did the beating? The son of God. The son of God saw somebody. Okay, he says, look, if you want to break into someone's house, wink, wink, a human being, a temple, and there's a strong man in there, you do not speak and you will not see. That's a strong man, right? So he says, whoever would set that guy free would have to be stronger than the strong man. Inside bounding, he would have to have to bind that guy, die him, throw him down and remove him from the region and then he's free to take possession of the valuables and then he snuggled him in because he's the the plunder. Jesus is the stronger one who comes to bind the strong man the lesser. Right? And so he's saying what you just saw was a demonstration of God's power to show that he is stronger than the strong one in this world. Greater is he who is in you than he that is in the world. And this is just fleshing that out. He says, I subdued the strong man and sent him packing and set the captive free. That is what you just saw. The only work the devil has done in this scenario is to yield and to, and to submit to the power of Christ. And so, you know, in Genesis chapter three and verse 15, the Lord says to the devil, who just attacked the whole human race and took us all down, and he said, listen, your days are numbered from the woman, her offspring, Christ, he says, will crush your head and you will wound his heel. But he's saying, I'm giving you notice that a time is coming when the, when the fall, the curse will be reversed. The earth will be renewed. Sin will be no more. Death will be a thing that is swallowed up in gone. And sin in people's hearts will be taken care of because the strong man will be bound. That, that held the entire world under his sway, 1 John says, that the evil one, And he said, that's the purpose So the whole Bible is really unpacking what happened in the first three chapters and verse 15. The entire 66 books is about what this is. The kingdoms in conflict and the demise of evil for all time started in a little house in Capernaum when the king of righteousness meets the king of, of darkness, the prince of darkness, and he exerts authority over the strong man, binds him, and loses a heart that is free to see the glory of God and give testimony to the praise and glory of God. Amen. Amen. You better sound happier than that. <laughs> come on, well, come on. Are you excited? There are two kinds of people here. People, there are two kinds of people. Those who've been plundered by God or in those who are still under sway of the strong man. There's only two kinds of people. And it doesn't mean you were demon-possessed before, but you were under the spirit and the power that works in this world in the sons who are disobedient, among whom we all took part following after the desires of our own sinful natures. But thank God he sent a conqueror. And at least the people mostly in this room are now free to see God's glory and to give praise to God and to spread the gospel with lips that work and a tongue that that gives honor and glory to God and not anything sinful Those kinds of things just give us the knowledge that, listen, every time I read something like that, I I know ISIS is over, and little dictators that threaten to blow up entire nations, done. Your days are numbered, and one day this same man is going to come, and every eye shall see and evil and darkness and sin in our own hearts will be gone and the evildoer banished. The Bible says you will look for him and you will not find him because evil, death, shame, condemnation, fear, all of that stuff. Kingdoms in conflict, Jesus is stronger and one day it is his will to banish it all forever. Amen? Let's move on. Thank you for that spontaneous reaction. Okay, so we've got... Oh, and he says, by the way, let me throw in a warning now if I can't reason with you. Next verse, please. I tell you the truth, all the sins and blasphemies uh, men will, will be are capable of being forgiven. He tells us how. The gospel. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit, there's, there's really no forgiveness for that. This verse has really troubled and, and, and unnecessarily so to those who have tender consciences. Listen to me. He's saying something very simple. He's saying, first of all, whatever deed you can imagine, and don't even let your minds go there, it's church, but the, the, the most wicked, the most wicked deeds in the world, all of them, can be forgiven. Every last one of them, anything you can imagine, the darkest, 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 darkest deed, not a problem. But if you cut yourself off from the only one who can make all those sins go away, there's no remedy for that. So the deeds, listen, you come to Christ with a sincere heart, Christ, who can make those things be covered and take those sins away because he dies for them, there's no problem for that. All, all this is, my friend, all it is is the gospel. He, all it is is the gospel. He who has the son has life, Jesus said, he who does not have the son shall not see life for the wrath of God remains on him. There's nothing new here. He's just saying, listen, you're, you're, you're gonna burn the only bridge that is able to wipe out every known sin that you've ever committed. If you, if, if you cut off ties with the rescuer and you're calling uh, the Savior the devil, that's a settled uh, heart and position that can find no forgiveness because you've cut yourself off from the, the one who forgives. That's all he's saying. He's not talking about a specific sin. Whoops, and now you're damned forever. He's talking to guys who are looking at the face of Jesus, who is God, and calling him the devil. And it says, the reason he said that is because they looked in the face of God and said, Satan knowing full well that it was not true. Now, I had a professor in, in Bible college. We walked through this passage, and he said, listen, students come to me all the time because in their immaturity, they're like, whoa, you know, I'm sure, I, uh, you know, if I could find a way to get kicked out of heaven, it would be me, you know? And, and so he said, listen, relax, men. If you are concerned, you committed the sin. You haven't committed the sin because those who commit the sin could care less. They want anything to do with heaven or God or Jesus, nothing. That's why they're cut off and can't be forgiven because they're at odds with the Creator. Are you at, at at odds with Him? Are you denying Him? Are you saying, ah, on your deathbed, ah, Jesus, Jesus? You know, or whatever, blasphemy out of your mouth, then you're in trouble. And, and and friends, let me just say, then you are in trouble. There's a new gospel, that 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 according to the shack, according to the shack, that the author of the shack is a universalist, and he admits this. And his job in the shack is to present a God that is all loving and. Everybody, no matter who you are, will be reconciled in the end. That is in his own words. Jesus, on the other hand, says, if you're at odds with me, you've committed, you will, if you die in your sins, there's no way out of that. No way out of that. That's Jesus. That's the gospel. You have a choice. You can escape. That's pretty good news. Amen? Amen. And then let's finish. I guess somebody's at the door. Who is it? Jesus' family. All right, let's see. (laughs) Jesus' mother and brothers arrived, standing outside. Notice. The ones, the family, the inside people, the bio siblings, half siblings. They're on the outside because of their attitudes. And other people are on the inside. That's important. So let's take a look at this. So yeah, um, Jesus has a new way of defining family, right? So, uh, you know, everybody knows what's up because there's expressions on Jesus' brother's faces. They've already said, Hey, they've made their embarrassing remarks. Hey, we're sorry for what's going on in here. Yeah, yeah, you know, we're related. We're his brothers, okay? We're here to, I know he's out of his mind. We just apologize for you good people, what you're going through. And, and that's going up through like telephone into one ear, into another ear, into another ear because the crowd is not parting for them. Why is not the crowd parting for them? We're the brothers, We've got his mother right here. The crowd goes, we're not parting." Why? Because they want to bring an end. We're here to stop this. This terrible charade of insanity. Oh, no, 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 no. We don't care who you are. You're not stopping this, right? So they're not going to let him in. And so word gets through to Jesus and everybody thinks, oh, here it comes. The trump card. People who don't need a pass. People get a free pass because they're bio-related. Your mother and brothers are outside. And everybody in the room knows. Everybody knows the brothers don't believe. Everybody knows it's not a good thing. And so they're like, they expect him to get up and get busy, right? Just like, for example, if you had Prince William and Kate Middleton uh, at some event. And nobody can move and get to them. And then somebody says, hey, listen, one of your sisters is out here, Kate. Or 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 what's his name? Harry. Harry's out there in the way. <laughs> I couldn't think of his name. He's out there, he's right behind you. He needs to get it. Everybody expects a whole sibling, DNA. You know? Now, one thing. In the Bible, there's nothing more precious than family. It's a gift of God. There's honor. Demanded and commanded. God knows that one of the best things we've got going is family. And there's no dissing of bio-family here. There's something more important going on with the spiritual family that we become joined to. Oh, there's honor your mother and father. There's... There's texts that say, if you don't do right by your immediate family, you're worse than an unbeliever. He talks to grandchildren and children, the obligation to care for parents and grandparents. So the Bible in no way is going to say, oh, this is where, what really matters. And so you can disrespect the family. But in cases like this one, where there's no faith and there's hostility involved, he's going to redefine a family that supersedes biology and physical DNA. It's called the family of God. And so he starts always <laughs> and he asks a question when he teaches. So he says, they say, Your mother and your brothers are here. Uh, and they're all nervous. They want it to keep going, right? They want to take you. They say you're crazy. So he says, he stops and he looks and he goes, so, and it says he sweeps through. And he looks at everybody, and he says, who are my mother and my brothers and sisters? And then he says, here are my mother, my brothers, and my sisters. When you come to Christ, you're joined to Christ. You, become, you, you, you receive and believe on his name. And to them, he gives the right to become children of God. So there's an eternal, more significant because it's eternal, connection Well, God is our new father. We've got Jesus as an elder brother knit together by the powerful Holy Spirit. And so, listen, in the context of broken relationships, div- divisiveness, Anger, hurt, and pain in the natural family, you have a new father, a new mother. And I came to to Christ, you, you know, I came into a church, I had fathers, I had little brothers, I had older brothers, I had grandmas, I had moms. It was so wonderful, and anything that... I lost or yearned or, or, or wanted that I didn't have in my regular family, I had in the family of God. You lose sometimes relationships, it doesn't really necessarily mitigate the pain, but there is a comfort in knowing that when <laughs> you enter the family of God, there are mothers and fathers and brothers and sisters. And he says, that connection, well, we will spend forever together, forever. And Jesus saying, Peter, James, and John, they're closer to me. And this new guy right here and this new guy who's singing praises, right? This guy's closer to me. And, and now he's thinking, oh boy, I, I, I get to talk and I get to see and I get to call the Messiah my brother what closer than James and Judas uh, his brother Jude and Joseph and Simon his his younger half brothers the new dude is closer because he's born again and born into the family what a beautiful comforting thought to be a part of the family of God Amen? amen let's pray together Heavenly Father, we thank you for your great love. What a joy. What a joy. We don't deserve anything, Lord. In fact, we know what we deserve, and that's what makes grace so wonderful. We're so grateful to belong to you, Lord, and to have a Savior who's stronger than the devil who prowls about like a roaring lion. Thank you for all the wonderful, comforting and insightful things that we've learned through these, these passages here today. In Christ's name, amen. You have been listening to The Rock Podcast. Our regular services are held on Wednesday nights at 6.30 and Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you would like to learn more, please visit our website at calvarytherock.org.